either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Something really amazing happened to us this week. We actually saw a movie. In the theater. In the theater. It was glorious. <laughs> oh, it was nice to be back. Yeah. It really was. Thank it, you it, to Studio 35 for doing such a yes. great job of making us feel safe. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of other theaters all around the country that are doing the same thing. And we salute them, and we're happy to get back, and we're happy to talk about these movies, not only in theaters this weekend, but on streaming as well. Got a bunch, so let's get at it. The She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, your host for the Screening Room Podcast. Glad you're here. We'll start with a confrontation with an unstable man at an intersection, leading to a woman becoming the target of his rage. Russell Crowe is unhinged. Ma'am, are you okay? I'm pretty sure the guy in that truck's following me. He's road raging. Why don't you just chill, man? Go your own way. I don't think you really know what a bad day is. But you're gonna find out. The first thing that this made me think of was the old South Park episode where he's okay. fighting around the world. <laughs> it's like he had his own show where Russell Crowe yeah. just would go to different places of the world and beat people up. Hello, everybody. I'm Russell Crowe, and this is Fighting Around the World. Well, he, he does a lot of that. He does a lot more than just beating people up. It actually made me think of that old 1970s TV movie directed by Steven Spielberg called Duel. Oh, sure. That I watched with my mom as a kid where the truck driver just terrorizes Dennis Weaver to the end. And the thing about that one, and the thing that drove my mom really crazy, unnerved her the most about that movie when we watched it is, spoiler alert, you never find out why the truck driver's doing it. <laughs> you never do. What did Dennis Weaver do? He we, didn't like that mustache. We never know. But on this one, there's there's no such ambiguity. And I just actually looked at the, at the poster, and it does say, Russell Crowe is unhinged, not in unhinged, because... His character is, and he doesn't have a name, he's just the man, but he's at the end of his rope, he's lost his wife, he's lost his job, then he's lost his, his cool and his mind, basically, when there's this confrontation with a woman played by Karen Pistorius, who was Rose in Slow West. That is such a great movie. If you've never seen Slow West, by the way, it is on Netflix right now, and it yeah. is magnificent. Yeah, it was good to see her again, and uh, she's got her son in the back seat, and they have this bit of confrontation. She beeps at Russell Crowe. Then she finally moves around him in traffic and gives him a gesture. And, and next thing you know, in that slow gridlock, oh, he's beside them. And he rolls down the window and is trying to be civil and says, you know, we've all we're having bad days. If you just give me an apology, we'll just forget about it. And she won't do it. So bad move. Then he decides to show her what a bad day really is. And boy, does he do it. And it gets nasty quick. The thing about this movie is it's, it's very violent and it's listed as a thriller, but you could, you could make a case for this being a horror movie. Right. Because what we were talking about was when you have a movie like this, which is just 90 minutes of male rage, and in this case, white male rage, mm -hmm. okay? Then you start thinking, what, what is the point here from writer Carl Ellsworth, who he wrote uh, Disturbia, 
and he wrote the remake of Last House on the Left. Mm -hmm. And the director is Derek Borte, or Bort. But anyway, you start thinking, is there a social commentary here? And I don't really think there is. Right. And, and if there is, I, if there was an attempt, it's not a good one. Because the other movie this reminds you of is Falling Down. Exactly. But the truth is, I think, in a way, because we were talking about this at lunch, the film is a little closer to The Hitcher than it is to Falling <laughs> Down, right? Is it Falling Down, uh, Michael Douglas from about oh, 20 years ago, it is a social commentary. It, it absolutely is a deconstruction of sort of an entitled, privileged white man who's just decided that he's had too much and what causes that. And this really isn't. No, it, you because know, the other thing Falling Down had was some dark comedy, right. almost poking fun at his notion of being aggrieved. Right. This doesn't have that. It does get into some... There's some background information. You hear news reports about things happening in society and lost jobs and things like that. But really, he just becomes a menacing horror movie killer. That's the thing. Is so My fear going into this is that if it was not social commentary, it would just simply at this point in our history be tone deaf. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, like you said... He might as well be Michael Myers. Yes. He is just a relentless killing machine. And that at that point, I'm all in. Exactly right. That is the point here. Uh, if, if they were going for social commentary, which I don't really think they were, they failed. Right. Um, but what they deliver is just what you think they're going to deliver. Russell Crowe, unhinged, he's road raging, and you are in serious danger. And that's what this is. That is really the end. That's the point of all this. So it's interesting because the, the writer essentially is a horror movie writer. He certainly has done some. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's what, in the end, it felt like to me. And you nailed it, like a Michael Myers type thing. You think he's dead? He's not. He's, st <laughs> he's still coming. Right. And uh, it's just that he was tipped off. His final straw was this uh, this traffic confrontation. So you take Russell Crowe out of it, and I don't know what you have, to right. be honest yeah. with you. Because he has that reputation, right? right? Well, and the other thing is, he can act. He can. Right, and, and so he can elevate a lot of material. Yeah, he can. And there's not a, the character doesn't have a whole lot of range, to be honest. But he elevates it, and he's the draw. You, you have that that already the preconceived notion in your mind, kind of like that fighting around the world. Yeah. The, oh, he, if he goes off, look sure. out. That's exactly right. That's the point here. That's the draw. If that interests you, then you're going to be re rewarded with a pretty good bloody time. Who else could it have been? It could have been It could have been Nicolas Cage, because I think unhinged is a word we use in every other Nicolas Cage review. And then so. the movie title could have been Rage in the Cage, and it's done. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> so, And the other thing about this movie is... It certainly plays, flirts with ridiculousness. Oh, yeah. Certainly. But it's also, I'll give Ellsworth, the writer, credit. There are times when it's constructed more cleverly than you would expect right. for a movie like right. this. In terms of anticipating what you're thinking, mm -hmm. anticipating some of the objections you're raising, and then immediately addressing them. All right. Mm -hmm. And then, it, it almost felt like accidentally, or backhandedly, it, to me, it delivered one of the more blunt and effective... Cautionary tales about smartphones that I've seen in right. movies. We've seen so many movies try to really just wring their hands and clutch their pearls mm -hmm. about. This one is just really, really blunt about, look what can happen. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's effective. So it's certainly not a great movie, but I've seen this one popping up, especially around here. At drive-ins. Would be fun. This weekend. Mm -hmm. Oh, you could see. And then you just drive off into the night ready to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Scared about everybody you're going to beep at. So that's what you're going to get. And if it's in you're interested in that, Road Rage and Russell Crowe, you'll be happy with Unhinged.
Next up is the story of the all-black 24th United States Infantry Regiment and the Houston riot of 1917. This is called the 24th. The police brutalize us, sir. All we want is to be treated as soldiers. As military police, you are to ensure order of the men of the 24th Infantry only. Drop the knife. Back up! Law run this town. There's a militia on the way. Keep pushing people down. Sooner or later, they rise up. Fire! Can you identify any of the leaders of the mutiny? When I aim the gun, I saw a man. He didn't see one back. This is co-written and directed by Kevin Wilmot, who has won an Oscar at, for uh, writing, co-writing Black Klansman and, and does a lot of what he did. He co-wrote The Five Bloods. He does a lot of really great work with Spike Lee. Yeah, I've been working with Spike Lee for the last few years. And this movie continues that trend of that those Spike Lee movies have, have done in connecting the past to the present so gloriously without preaching because it's a a pretty little known i think for a lot of people especially a lot of white people event in history the 24th was an all-black as this as the uh, synopsis said an all-black regiment in world war one based outside of houston and after continued oppression by the jim crow laws at the time and by the houston police they mutinied they conducted an uprising and at the end there were dead civilians there were dead soldiers there were dead policemen and this is based heavily in the history of it, but the smart thing is, Wilmot and his uh, co-writer, Trey Byers, who also stars, they humanize the entire thing through the character that Byers plays, and that is Private Boston. And he comes into the regiment as a private, really wanting to set an example for one reason. And by the end of this, by the end of the uprising, by the end of the violence, He wants to set an example for a totally different reason, and that's the arc that makes this movie resonant. Mm -hmm. Really powerful. It's such a smart way to do it, too. When you're going to take an event like this, that they do use a lot of real history uh, involved, but then they create something, a fictional character, and that's your vessel. That's your vessel in the bridge between what happened then and making it so relevant to what's happening right now. Right. And we've seen him do that with the Five Bloods. We've seen him do that with Black Clans. Black Klansmen. Oh, yeah. my Lord. Gloriously. And, and he much deserved that Oscar, along with all the other writers for that movie. So you see that here. Now, I will say the early going, like the first third of this movie, it seems a little impatient. And by that, I mean it seems like they wanted every single scene in the beginning to really have a, a moving speech. Yeah. And it just is really wants, it seemed like it wanted to get ahead of itself in being really important and just a little bit preachy. But boy, toward the middle and, and of course, the uh, especially the final third, it really has some emotional power. It really does. And it speaks volumes without preaching. And um, there's another, there's also a very interesting character played by Thomas Hayden Church, who's really playing against type. As, because even when you hear his voice in yeah, the trailer, you yeah. think comedy. You do. Oh, it's clearly not a comedy. And he plays a, a colonel, a white colonel, obviously, who's very, who, who's more sympathetic than most mm-hmm. of the white people around to the 24th's situation. 
And so that's an that's an interesting character as well. Uh, but it's a it's a very heartfelt movie. Not easy to watch at times. Certainly violent, but uh, really really worth it for not only a history lesson if you're not familiar with this, and you can certainly look up the real events. Uh, it's good to know about the history, and it's good to see how that history is so sadly relevant still to today. So a big recommendation for Kevin Wilmot and the 24th. Disney Plus has a new one out this week, and it's about a gorilla named Ivan trying to piece together his past with the help of an elephant named Stella as they hatch a plan to escape from captiv- as they hatch a plan to escape from captivity. It's the one and only Ivan. Let's give him a great show, okay? A one and only Why do they want an angry gorilla anyway? You're a silverback. He terrifies humans. (laughs) You're not terrifying. Whoa, did you draw all these? A gorilla? Who draws? What is it? Don't tell me, don't tell me. It's a lonely haystack on a late summer day. It's a beetle. Can you tell me a story? Once there was a baby elephant who was smart and brave, and she needed to live in the wild where she could be free. I was looking forward to this one for a couple of reasons. I'm a big fan of the novel that it comes from as a children's book that won the Newbery back when it came out. And the speaking cast, the voice cast, is is just chock full of some of my favorites, really including is. Sam Rockwell, yeah, Brian he's... Cranston. Yeah, Sam Rockwell is Ivan, one of the CGI animals. Now, Brian Cranston is the actual person. Right, the ringleader. (laughs) The ringleader. But there are so many CGI animals with, yeah, great voices. Danny DeVito. There's uh, Angelina Jolie. There's Helen Mirren. Shaka Khan. Yeah. uh, Philippa Sue from Hamilton. Brooklyn Prince. Brooklyn Prince from the Florida Project. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the live action mixed with the CGI. And the CGI... It's not it's not Planet of the Apes good, but it's pretty good. It is. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's very effective, and it tells a nice story, a sweet story, and it's interesting too because the story, the novel, while obviously fictionalized, because you know animals can't talk, but um, <laughs> it's based on a true story of this silverback gorilla that lived in a mall and painted. So that's really kind of a fascinating story to begin with that this that this ape that this gorilla painted. Yeah. But the way they tell the story with all these other animals and the camaraderie is really quite nice. I mean it's it's making a point about animal welfare. Mm-hmm. It's one of the rare Disney films I think that doesn't really beat you over the head with it. Well, it's also one of the rare Disney films that doesn't have a clearly defined villain. No. Really? No. And you think about the classic Disney films, there are some great villains. Yes, that's my favorite thing about Disney films. That drive the movies. This one really doesn't. It has moments where you can point the finger at somebody, but for for the main part of the movie, you don't really come away of thinking of a great villain. I think the younger kids will really enjoy it, and it is. It's a nice, nice message. It really is. And a nice true story. Right. Another true story to to hear about mm-hmm. and to feel good about if you don't know it. And, uh, yeah, so all in all, it's, it's, it's a perfect. It looks spot. nice. I yes. think your kids will like it. It wasn't expe- exceptional. I think I was hoping for more, given the talent. Yeah. But it was nice. Yeah, exactly. Very, very nice family movie out this week on Disney Plus, the one and only Ivan. Next is a freewheeling take on visionary inventor Nikola Tesla, his interactions with Thomas Edison and J.P. Morgan's daughter, Anne, and his breakthroughs in transmitting electrical power and light. It's called Tesla. May I introduce the brilliant... 
Nikola Tesla, the greatest inventor of the age. If you Google Nikola Tesla, you get 34 million results. It's basically just four pictures. Beyond that, things get murky and more imaginative. I now have the pleasure of introducing you to a novel system of energy, alternate currents. This will transform the way the world works. No, no sparks. sparks. It's perfect. Where have you been hiding? Alternating current is a waste of time. Impractical and deadly. You live in your head. Doesn't everyone? The world we are living in is a dream that Tessa dreamed first. Now, if you're thinking, didn't we just get this story? Well, you kind of did, but not as well. The movie was called The Current War, and now we have Tesla. And this was reviewed on MadWolf.com by uh, one of our writers, Matt Weiner, And he actually reviewed The Current War, he too. Did. And he did. He liked this one much better. Yeah, well, uh, Michael Amoretta has directed it, and he's just a much more interesting storyteller. And, and he, he takes a very interesting approach to this subject matter. And he wrote it, too. Right. Yeah, his approach reminded me of the approach for the radioactive movie sure. that we just watched. Right. It's similar in that it tries to bring in anachronistic moments where all of a sudden the future is involved with these past events. So I, th- I think even it may work a little better here than it did there. Uh, yeah, I think that you're right. I think that it's a little bit more fluid and a little bit more vivid. And Ethan Hawke, it's a very interesting approach he takes because he is very withdrawn, drawn inside. And mainly you get to see who he is through his interactions with other people as opposed to from his own sort of performance, which is which is something you rarely see in a lead. And it, and it works surprisingly well in this film. Yeah, and in the supporting cast, you have Kyle MacLachlan, who plays Thomas Edison, who loves to eat ice cream. <laughs> You've also got some interesting karaoke choices by Mr. Tesla. Indeed. Uh, yeah, and then you've also got Eve Hewson, who mm-hmm. plays J.P. Morgan's daughter, who, as you may know, is Bono's daughter from U2. So well, all sorts of interesting characters in this, and it's, an, as we said, an in, another interesting take on history and a historical figure. And you got to say, it continues this really later career renaissance for Ethan Hawke. He just continues to do some of the best work because... As we may have mentioned on this podcast before, early on he didn't really impress me no, much yeah. at all. But I, he, I thought he was he was kind of oatmeal for he, a long time. Yeah, but yeah, but in the last now. six, not, seven years, he's been great. Amen to that. Amen. So uh, Tesla gets a recommendation. Hey, let's throw ourselves into a couple of YA dramas. You know how much I love that genre. <laughs> Diagnosed with a mental illness halfway through his senior year of high school, a witty, introspective teen struggles to keep it a secret while falling in love with a brilliant classmate who inspires him to not be defined by his condition. Words on bathroom walls. You know, when I first met you, I thought maybe he's just awkward and unsocialized, but that's not it. There's something else. I don't know what to say to that. I'll crack you, Petroselli. Last night, when you finally called me. I know that you must be scared and that it's lonely in your head. And I know, and I know, and I know, and I know that you like your space. Adam, hey, stop! I'm sorry. When you're a cancer kid, people are so eager to grant any wish you have. But when you have schizophrenia, people treat you differently. Is that why you didn't tell me? Because you thought that I was going to leave? seems to me that the, the biggest problem, hurdle, that this film faces is that rather than being particularly empathetic or insightful about mental health issues, it uses it as a gimmick. Yeah, that's the thing. So many of these, well, they're so, 
there's such a formula to these. And after a while, I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over, just like the movies are, because you just see the same tropes pulled out. It's going to be narrated. It's going to have an essay. Oh, my God. Read at the end again. And in this time, in, instead of, say, a, a, a sickness like cancer or something, the affliction is a mental mental health condition, schizophrenia. So, okay, there's there's possibilities there. But, yeah, it's manifested as these three different characters in the movie, people that you see on screen that are meant to represent the hallucinations and the voices inside the head of the main character, Adam, played by Charlie Plummer. So it does. It comes off as a little too light, a little too gimmicky. Just one of the problems with this movie, as well as the formulaic nature of it, it just has all the same earmarks of this overly angsty and overly dramatic YA material yeah, where it just wallows in it. It wallows in it talking with this narration, talking straight to teens like we're having a conversation. Oh, we're all yeah. so, so serious and so special. It's usually it's usually the special Girl. girls. That's one of the things yeah. that I find interesting about both of the young adult movies we'll talk about is that that maybe the only interesting thing is that they take the male perspective, which is not common. Right. Right. And it's based, of course, on a YA novel, but it's just got some all almost of the same problems in that there's so much telling with this narration and this essay and very little showing. And so it's not earned. Now, I, I will give them Half a credit. In in this case, the uh, narration is at least a little bit organic because the screenplay written by Nick Navita makes it so he's talking to an unseen therapist. Right. So that's the narration. But still, there's so much telling about how angsty and dramatic we all are and how we all don't understand these teens. And it just suffers from the same problems that a lot of these YA dramas do. And his the tortured romance here is with his math tutor slash classmate played by taylor russell from waves and and charlie Plummer, he was in um the all the money in the world he played the young getty in that mm-hmm. so both of these young performers have been good mm-hmm. they're just the screenplay doesn't give them really the the room to create any sort of character with depth and just another ya sticking to the ya playbook and not being very interesting So let's try another YA. This one, surprisingly, rated R. A high school transfer student finds a new passion when she begins to work on the school's newspaper. It's Chemical Hearts. The teenage years are limbo. The world tells you to express yourself, but the minute that you do, it tells you to shut up. Just ask her what's going on. You're right. I don't know like how I'm supposed to help. I messed up, Henry. I messed up. It's not when you realize you can't fix me. There's a reason why when every adult talks about young people, they can't avoid the truth. Stop leading me on. I'm confused, Henry. I don't know. I know. I've known since like the very beginning. That being young is so painful. It's almost too much to feel. First thing that caught my eye about this, it's of course based on a novel, but the writer-director here is Richard Tanney. Or Tan, and he did South Side with You, yeah. that movie about yeah. Barack and Michelle Obama that was very impressive. So that caught my eye. And this one, this was reviewed on MadWolf.com by one of our writers, Kat McAlpine. And this one still follows a lot of the formula, but as I said, it's rated R, mm-hmm. which is yeah, like going for a different audience, maybe a little older, and it's a little more successful. Yeah, although it does have a lot of the same 
problems. What's interesting is that it really is inverted in that the lead is a male, Henry, played by Austin Abrams, and he considers himself unremarkable until this new student played by Lily Reinhardt shows up and he falls for her because she's very damaged. So it's really, it is the same story we've yes. seen 300 times. It's just that there's a gender swap. And it's narrated and you just heard, you hear it in the trailer. The first thing, there's this narration. When you're a teenager, it's the time that you're most alive. You know what? I just want to leave the room. Yeah. I want to leave the room right there. Here we go. I was a teenager once. I'm not <laughs> now. I don't want to feel... Too much like um, that old get-off-my-lawn guy, but that, to me, has no semblance of reality. It's another example, which I think YA is really lousy with examples of writers thinking they're saying something when they're not. Right. And that's unfortunate because there are some good performances in this movie. Uh, the female, uh, Reinhardt, she's very talented, but mm-hmm. she she doesn't get to actually have an arc. And she just is a vehicle for the lead to have an arc, which is interesting, again, because only because it's a gender swap. In every other YA movie in the history of the world, the boy has no real arc at all. He's just there so the girl can grow. So really, yeah. all they've done is swap things out here. It's, it's not impressive. And the more I see these, the more I think this type of writing feels condescending to the audience. They're, look, they're smarter than this. Yeah. They can accept better fare than this. They really can. And it just, to me, over and over, when they keep following this formula, it seems so calculated. Well, I think what they miscalculated here with the number of F-bombs, because there's no way it's making its money back with an R rating, because its audience is not 17 yet. Yeah, that's an interesting R rating. Uh, Chemical Hearts. A documentary next using new archival sources and unprecedented access. Documentarian Barbara Koppel reveals the story behind one of the most daring rescues in modern U.S. history, a secret mission to free hostages of the 1979 Iranian Revolution, Desert One. The mission was very plain and simple. Bring home 52 American hostages. The Delta Force group had been created in 1975. Only certain people get picked to fly with the special ops. He said, I'll see you when I see you. I knew that he was going to Iran. We would fly into a remote desert location. There was never a full-up dress rehearsal. The whole nature of the rescue involved risk. I never saw the president so shocked and stunned. Carter said, if we are successful, it will be your achievement. If we are not successful, it will be my defeat. This is two-time Oscar-winning Barbara Koppel, who won for Harlan County, USA, and American Dream, and is looking, let's be honest, at another nomination for this one. I would be shocked if this didn't get a nomination, because it's another slice of history that, not that ancient, you know, 1979, but... The, everybody, I would, I guess, most people know about the Iranian hostage situation, but the failed mission to try to rescue them is known, but this gives you so many things you didn't know. Oh, absolutely, about. including a conversation with Jimmy Carter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 95-year-old Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. And it just gives you another example of what a, a decent man. Oh, my just God, yeah. Just a decent, decent man. He still appears to be. And yeah. you can and you can debate his decision making all you want to. And of course, as he says, it was a failure, so it's a failure for him. Yeah. Uh, but you talk to many of the people involved, the planning, what went wrong, so many coincidences that just stacked up on the day that they were finally going to execute this thing that you're like, Are you kidding? This happened today. <laughs> and it talks to some of the former hostages. 
And it really takes you back to that time, an incredible time, if you remember it, if you, if you lived through it, as, as we certainly did, where every night you just hung on what was happening. That, that's how the, the TV show Nightline got born. Those okay. were nightly news reports just about the hostages. And that's, wow. that's what started that, uh, that TV show with Ted Koppel and Nightline, which actually, you find out, was watched very, very diligently by members of the military and the intelligence community because by watching that show, they were actually able to get very good information that helped them plan. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really is. It's amazing uh, with the, the new things that you learn, the new footage you see, the access and the interviews. Yeah, I would be shocked if it's not nominated for Best uh, Documentary for this year. So a big recommendation for Desert One. And let's round it out with a couple horror movies to talk about. We love that. A pair of comic book writers begin to notice scary similarities between the character they created and horrific real-life events. Random acts of violence. Is there a concern that Slasher Man could push the already unstable over the edge into violence? I've drawn, what, a thousand kills? Once in a while, one of them might match up with something that happens in this country. We need to call the cops. And tell them what? That is a killer running around recreating murders for my comics? What is it? Oh my god. Todd drew this. He is going to kill us. I can't wait to show you. The first surprise here is that it was co-written and directed by Jay Baruchel, who you don't really associate with horror right off the top of your head. Right, but it's always good to find people, new people trying horror. He was involved, one of the filmmakers involved, one of the writers involved with the original Goon yes. movie, which we loved. Loved it. And then he took over for Goon 2, which we did not love. No, it was terrible. Yeah, and this one... Fall somewhere in between. Yeah. You know, one of the things it benefits from is Baruchel as a performer. He plays uh, not the writer, but he plays the publisher of this sort of underground comic book. And they're on a road trip. And what they're doing is actually driving I-95, the very stomping grounds of the I-95 killer who inspired their hero, Slasher Man. <laughs> and along the way, what they actually do is start to run into some uh, violence that mimics not the actual events of the I-95 killer, but the artwork in the comic book series. So it's sort of art imitating life, imitating art. And it's not great. It has a hard time figuring out what it's trying to say, which is which is interesting because Jesse Williams from Cabin in the Woods, he plays the actual writer artist and he is having writer's block and he can't finish the series. So because he can't figure out what the series is trying to say. So again, it's <laughs> it's art imitating life, I right, guess. Right. So that's the big drawback. The movie doesn't really say anything in particular. Williams is not a very compelling lead, although all of the supporting actors are very good in this. So it takes its time, but when it gets violent, it gets violent. So, you know, it's pretty mediocre. It's not a bad movie if you like road trip horror. And that is Random Acts of Violence. How about a horror western? We like the sound of that. After a train robbery goes bad, two brothers leading a gang of cowboys must survive the night in a ghost town inhabited by a coven of witches. It's called The Pale Door. She's just an innocent woman. We ain't gonna sell her anything we do. If you take me to my home, there would be a handsome reward. This way, to the brothel. Gentlemen, please, make yourselves at home. (laughs) 
understand there was a reward? Of course. What just happened? We gotta get out of this too. Either find our way out of this or go down swinging. I've seen a lot of stuff in uh, horror westerns. I've seen some werewolves. Uh, Wendigos, they're very popular in the horror westerns. Uh, vampires, I've not seen witches before. Well, here you go. Yeah. How did they get there? By no sensical reason. There are a lot of troubles with this film and the way that it's plotted and the way that the story is told. However, it is a great deal of fun. And the main reason for that is the cast. Aaron B. Kuntz, who did Scare Package, uh, which is an anthology, a very good anthology. Yeah, we got to talk to him, spend a little time with him at last year's Nightmares Film Festival. Yeah. So, great to see him back. So he's back and he is uh, helming the whole thing. So it's a, it's a, it's a single feature. It's not a anthology. And the cast is really quite good. So it's a lot of faces that you're familiar with from indie horror. You've got uh, Noah Sagan, Pat Healy, Bill Sage. You also have Melora Walters from Boogie Nights. You just have a, it's a pretty stacked cast top to bottom. And they elevate dialogue that isn't great, but a story, the internal mythology that absolutely makes no sense. But witches in the Old West. I know. So I really wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt. It's almost like um, a Scooby-Doo episode gone wild. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, it is not a great movie, right. but it is fun. But there's some fun there for the pale door. And one more. A British Army doctor comes back from a war thinking that she has PTSD, only to discover that there is a more daunting malevolence at work, making the life that she knew unfamiliar. It's called The Unfamiliar. Eden! Are you taking your pills? Yes. And it wasn't a hallucination. to perform an exorcism. Whatever happens, stay calm. Do not attempt to make physical contact with the spirit. It is not safe. Emma. A daunting malevolence. Ooh, That's a good phrase. That is a good phrase. It's not a good movie, though. <laughs> it is one that early on I thought was very interesting because it does, as those YA movies did, a gender swap. Mm -hmm. So the hero who comes home damaged and is suddenly feels like they don't belong in their own home and so is chalking this up to something malevolent and is working through it with power tools and surveillance cameras <laughs> is a woman. Yeah. And her husband is the one who is always carrying the baby and driving the kids to school and looking on with a worried look. And right. I thought, this is fascinating. Yeah. And I thought he was doing it. Pretorius, Hank Pretorius is the writer-director. I thought he was doing it to make a point because what it really does is exposes how lazy those cliches are when your attention is so drawn to them. But that's not, seems to be the point that he's making. He still uses those same lazy cliches, but they get worse. <laughs> And the movie takes a downturn, and uh, with maybe 20, 15 minutes left, they introduce a character out of nowhere, Auntie May, who is the magical person of color who's uh. going to save the day by sacrificing so much. It's just bad. It's just bad. I wanted it to be good. Yeah. It's just bad. Mm, too bad. So the unfamiliar wraps it up. Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer. He's our weekly correspondent for all that's going on in movie news. And, of course, the big news, I guess. We already talked about it. We actually saw a movie in the theaters this week. We so we did. got We got theaters that are open. And what else is going on, Daniel? Uh, just a lot of release date announcements for the fall for once. In this long stretch that we've been doing, I actually have no movies being postponed to 2021 to announce this week. <laughs> wow. Good news for once. Um, next month, Netflix is releasing Enola Holmes, which uh, stars Millie Bobby Brown as the little sister of Henry Cavill's Sherlock Holmes. Mm. That was a Warner Brothers movie, but they sold it to Netflix a while back, and now it's coming out on September 23rd. And then Amazon made a deal... I think last year with Blumhouse to make eight original horror and thriller films for them. And the first four of those will be hitting Amazon Prime in early October with uh, The Lie and Black Box on October 6th, followed by Evil Eye and Nocturne on October 13th. Yeah, we I actually just got links for those, so yeah. we're very excited oh, yeah. to watch them. We yes. are. Very excited. <laughs> I think the other four are coming early next year. And then Neon has set Brandon Cronenberg's new movie, Possessor, for yeah. October 9th release. <laughs> We're a little excited <laughs> for that one. <laughs> I mean, I am too. <laughs> I think that's just a theatrical release date, but they really haven't said anything about VOD yet, so not quite sure on that front. And then Paramount had postponed their movie Monster Problems to early next year. Now they've pulled it back to 2020. They've retitled it as Love and Monsters, and it is currently set for an October 16th premium VOD release. Interesting. And also on the subject of Paramount on October 16th, Aaron Sorkin's new movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7, will be premiering on Netflix that day. Uh, Paramount sold it to them last month. And then the last one I've got for you is Hulu finally set a October 23rd release date for Dear White People director Justin Simeon's latest film, which is the horror comedy Bad Hair. All right. I love Dear White People oh, and yeah. horror comedy. That's uh, that, That'll definitely be on our radar. You can always find Daniel at The Schlocketeer, keeping us updated. Landmark week. We saw a movie in the theaters, and there's no postponement. So it's a good note. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Hopefully we can keep it up. Thank you. Boy, looking ahead to next week. We could set another record. We just set a record for the most new releases that we've ever covered. Well, we're going to look for it next week as we have two big ones at the top. Bill and Ted Face the Music and the New Mutants. Also, the personal history of David Copperfield and Get Duked. All right. The Prey and Diary. The Bletch Effect and Benjamin. Other Music, actually a documentary we saw a while ago, finally coming out on streaming. And Lingua Franca. Mm -hmm. The Shed and Centigrade. Fatima and Unfit. Finally, You Can't Kill David Arquette and Vinyl Nation. Okay, so a lot of documentaries are in there, but just a lot of titles, and who knows if more will pop up, but we'll try to cover them all as a public service (laughs) (laughs) here on the screening room. It's always uh, good to hear from you. You want to talk about any of the movies that came out this week? We're up for that. Down for that, as the kids say. You can find us on Twitter. Easiest way is at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, or on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. Uh, the main website where you can find all of our written reviews, as well as our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, all there for you at madwolf.com. So we hope to hear from you, and we always appreciate you stopping by. If you would just do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Thank you much. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. 
Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>